Welcome. You are listening to the Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm your host, Meryl Arnett, and my passion is making meditation accessible and enjoyable. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a guided meditation. If you would like to access these meditation practices as standalone audio files for your daily practice, please subscribe to my newsletter at merylarnett.com. It's free and you'll receive a new mini meditation each week, along with behind the scenes content and bonus material for each podcast episode. All right, let's grab a cup of tea, a comfy seat, and settle in for today's practice. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Minute. Thank you so much for tuning in. It is my great pleasure to get to share a conversation with Tracy Stanley today. This is Tracy's second visit to the Mindful Minute. Tracy is the author of the best-selling book, Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity, as well as the forthcoming book, The Luminous Self, Sacred Yogic Practices and Rituals to Remember Who You Are. Tracy is the founder of Empowered Life Circle, a sacred community and portal of practices, rituals, and tantric teachings. As a post-lineage teacher, Tracy is devoted to sharing the wisdom of Yoga Nidra, rest, meditation, self-inquiry, nature as teacher, and ancestor reverence. Tracy is gifted in illuminating the magic and power found in liminal space and weaving devotion and practice into daily life. As a longtime student of Tracy's, I can attest that all of this is true and then some. I have learned so much from Tracy over the years, and her books are wealth of knowledge. Today, Tracy and I get to talk about her new book, The Luminous Self. We go into who this luminous self is, the depth of who we are at our core, We talk about some of the obstacles that get in the way, a myriad of practices that we might explore for whatever moment we find ourselves in. I'm so excited to share some of these practices with you. You know, Tracy and I delight over a practice that I had been searching for for more than 10 years and was so excited to discover the actual name of this practice in her book. We get to talk a little bit about that, and she actually leads us through that practice at the end. It's called Neti Neti. We talk about self-inquiry reflections, community care, the importance of our relationship to nature, and so much more. This conversation is such a gift, and I'm so glad to share it with you today. And listeners, if you are interested in purchasing Tracy's book, The Luminous Self, we have a discount code for you. You can find it in the show notes. It's loom 30 L-U-M-3-0. If you pre-order The Luminous Self at Shambhala.com. So without further ado, let's jump into today's conversation. Tracy Stanley, I'm so glad to have you back on The Mindful Minute. Thanks for chatting with me. Thank you so much for having me, Meryl. It's really an honor to be with you today. Thank you. It's so fun to get to talk in this way. I feel like I'm always in the position of getting to sort of sit and listen and observe, and it's very rarely just a free-flowing conversation. So I'm really happy that we get to chat in this way. 
Me too. I was very excited. <laughs> when I looked at my Good. calendar last night, I was like, yay, I get to talk to Meryl. <laughs> <laughs> and I have childcare today, which makes it even better. <laughs> so for listeners, I was on a call with Tracy last night, but I was home with the kids by myself. So it was I was multitasking, which is always challenging. All right. So we're here to talk about your new book, which is coming out early October, The Luminous Self. And the subtitle is Sacred Yogic Practices and Rituals to Remember Who You Are. And I wondered if we might start just by talking about why remember right now. Mm. Yeah, I feel like it's remember always. Mm. You know, I feel like any time that I have experienced discomfort, or suffering, it's because I've forgotten. I've forgotten who I am. Or didn't even know that there was a me that I didn't know about, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> and I think that now it's more important than ever, really since the pandemic in 2020, that I think a lot of the suffering and division and polarity had so much to do with forgetting. Yeah. And so we're talking about remembering a capital S self or divinity within. How would you describe what this self is that we're remembering? Yeah, it's all of that. It's the capital S self. It's the deeper self. It's the essential self. It's the true self, true nature. It's who we are kind of underneath all of the layers and the jobs and the titles. Who are we at our essential essence? Yeah. And the first part of the book, we're going through some of the obstacles, right? Some of the ways that we have forgotten or that keep us forgetting. And there's a lot, there's power and personality, forgiveness, memory. And I know this is an unfair question, so please forgive me. But if you had to pick one, because as I mentioned earlier, I was sort of speed reading to, I wanted to get through and sort of understand what each chapter was holding so that we could talk about it. And as I was speed reading, I, I was forgetting as I was reading because you can't skim it and absorb it. You know, I mean, I can say power and personality and forgiveness, but I feel like those words go in one ear and out the other ear. And it really asks us to stop and sit with each one as its own opportunity for attention and investigation. And I wonder where you might start us. Yeah, I think the the first thing that I would start us with is this idea of distraction, right? Because it's really this distraction that we are constantly having our attention, our awareness being pulled outside to the external, right? Whether it's through entertainment, which is really the biggest thing, right? It's like we want to be constantly entertained. And if we think about this idea of entertainment, it's really about diverting your attention to something else. It literally is about being distracted or being amused, right? And when we're distracted, it takes us away from 
being aware of our inner landscape. What are, what are the feelings that we're feeling? You know, what are the thoughts that we're thinking? What's happening in our lives? And I think that when we're distracted, that is a form of forgetting. And the overculture is really designed to keep us in constant distraction. Because when we remember who we are, when we remember our values, when we remember the things that are important to us and sacred to us, we become more powerful. Yeah. I'm having this story pop into my head, this memory from earlier in the week, actually. I teach in a therapeutic center. I teach in group therapy circles, and there's a therapist and myself. And one of the circles is a body acceptance circle. And so in in an earlier session, we had talked about sort of external critical messages that we take in. So from the media, from family and our community, ways that we perceive critical messages about our body and absorb them. And then the session we were in the next day was internal messages. So like the things we say to ourselves about our bodies. And the work of the group that day was to identify those messages and create an opposite message. And one of the students in that group said, how many times do I have to hear something before I know that it's true? So how many times does somebody say to me this critical message before I decide clearly it's true? And then why would I bother trying to counteract it? Because it's so obviously true. And it was such an interesting statement to hear somebody make and to reflect on like, I'm being bombarded with these external messages. And here you are asking me to not listen to that and go to a different place and listen to something different. Like, why would I do that? Or I feel like the real question was, how do I do that? Maybe because it, it that's such a pivot. <laughs> what most of us yeah. are doing all yeah. day, every day, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a big pivot because we are trained to not trust our inner voice for and our knowing. And we're we haven't been given tools of self-inquiry to be able to deliberate around what is it that I'm thinking and hearing in my own inner critic. And okay, so I'm hearing this thing in my inner critic, but can I start to trace back to the reason why? Mm. can I start to question whether it's true? Because the inner critic is just the mirror of the outer message that the overculture is sending. It's not actually something that's coming from you. It's something that has become so ingrained that in a way it's kind of overtaken your own internal compass. So I think when we're in practice, this is why meditation is so important is that it allows for spaciousness and it allows for that pause so that when something comes through, we get to question it. We get to notice what is the vibration around this? And eventually we start to notice that there's a difference between the vibration of truth and something that is coming from the mind that is not necessarily true. Mm. You know, one of the things I love about this book is there's some beautiful meditations in there, but it's not just meditations. There's 
reflection questions and self-inquiry practices. There are rituals. What I at least am perceiving when reading the book is you're not presenting, here's this one thing you do and all the answers unfold, but it is this weaving of ways that we engage with ourselves. And I wonder how that evolved for you, how you decided what practices to put in there. What? How did you decide what pieces made up this inquiry? Thank you for asking that question. Yeah, I really chose the practices that I have done and been doing and keep returning to and sharing with students and people that I mentor as the ones that have been the most transformative, the ones that have maybe in just a sitting or maybe over 30 to 40 days have pierced through something that I thought was true, that I took for granted and really pierced through to the truth for me to have an, a, what I would call an awakening, because I think an awakening is any time that we realize something true about ourselves or about the nature of who we are or the nature of the universe. And it can be just something so simple. And I feel like we all have that knowing, but everything is so crowded with all the noise that we don't have the pause to to be able to find it. So this for me was like, and I've said this before, but it's like, if I could put the practices in a time capsule for someone who was looking to become free from their suffering, these would be the practices that I would put in. Mm. And at the same time, because in the way that I'm trained, I'm trained as a teacher who understands a little bit about the wise progression of how to sequence practices, right? And that you can't sometimes just go right to the deepest practice. There needs to be kind of this unlayering And so the practices and the way that I constructed the book for my understanding was how, okay, I can present some of these philosophies so that we understand them. They are underpinned by some personal stories so that they make sense in our real life of, you know, things that we can all relate to. And then they slowly are cumulative. They build upon one another. But at the same time, if for some reason you found a practice and it didn't resonate with you in the book, you could go to the next practice. All of the practices are portals. Mm. And I really feel like people will hopefully find a practice that really resonates with them, try it, and it still is going to lead through a weaving. You know, you might come back to something a year later you know, when you're going through a breakup or your business is about to end and you'll remember, oh, there's this practice in the book that might be helpful. Some of the practices I recognized from getting to be in deep experiences with you. And I was so happy to see some of them and get to revisit some of them. And some were very new to me as well. And there was one that really jumped out at me And it was a ritual. I I can't quite remember where it was in the book now, but it was a a ritual that involved planting a seed and tending the seed on an altar. And, you know, I just have to share with you, this is a bit of an aside, but I have been taking this class in spiritual ecology. And I just took a class with a woman who was an indigenous seed keeper. And she was talking about seeds, but she was also talking about leadership and your work in the world. 
And she put up this graphic that was the seed cycle. So in a circle, you saw the seed and the seed with the root and the sapling and a little tree and a big tree and the fruit and the flower. It was a circle. And she said, when you look at this cycle, where are you in your work in the moment? Which was, for me, an absolute moment of utter pause. I had never thought of my work in that way. And I was like, oh, I'm moving into the seed phase, which I had never thought about. Or I mean, I've been teaching for going on 13, 14 years at this point. So like, you know, you sort of think you're the tree, you'll always be the tree. But no, I'm moving into the seed phase. And simultaneously with that realization, I came across this ritual and I just landed so powerfully of, well, this is how I'm going to nurture in this new phase. It was such a gift. So I just want to say thank you so much for that practice, because I don't know that I would have done that. And now I've like set my little space. I haven't planted my seed yet, but I've set my space. And I know that that is a next piece in my practice. Beautiful. I love hearing that. And and I love that you're relating it to ecology because at the root of all of this, and when we think about true nature, is that the suffering comes from our separation from nature herself. Our suffering comes because the largest and the biggest forgetting that we have is that we are nature and nature is us. And when we forget that, we are in this mode a lot of times of extraction. What can we take? What can we throw away? And what we don't realize is that there's an illness that's happening in nature. And it's not disconnected from us. Mm. And so that to me is the biggest forgetting. And so that's why in the book, There are many practices, including the one that you just talked about, that relate us back to what is the cycle of nature? How am I connected to nature? As Thich Nhat Hanh says, you know, the consciousness of earth is our consciousness, and our consciousness is the consciousness of earth. So when we forget that or don't know that or have been separated from it, it is going to cause pain. Yeah. I wonder if you feel a parallel in this or not, but one of the things that you offer, it's, it's there are self-inquiry questions, there are these personal rituals and practices. There's also always a community care piece. And to me, at least I will say that feels very related to our connection to nature, like that those are not separate, even though it might not be about a plant, right? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, nature thrives in biodiversity, right? Nature is a community of species, of beings, and they all depend on each other in some way, shape, or form. Even if they seem separate, they're not separate. So that's another thing that we've forgotten about, right? Is that we are not separate from our community. We're not separate from not just the people in our nuclear family or the people that you know go to our synagogue or our church, but we're connected to everything. We're all connected. And so, you know, when we have when we're in a society that is focused on hyper-individualism, 
it's really hard to turn the gaze a little bit wider to include everything and everyone. So it is all related. And when I think about community, I like to include the earth in that community. Mm -hmm. But I think that as practices, because, you know, this book, we could say it's it's considered a spiritual self-help book, right? Which means that we're focused on ourselves. But what happens when we learn something valuable, when we have that epiphany, when we have that awakening, when there's a little sliver of light that comes in, how can we share that? How can we be a beacon of light in our community so that we're not leaving anybody behind? I think maybe that is one of the pieces that perhaps surprised me the most as an early practitioner is that I thought I was coming to a practice for myself because I was stressed, because I was searching for something. And then I found myself suddenly caring so much more about all that was happening, not just the internal happenings, but all that was happening. It felt more initially in a way that was disconcerting, like, whoa, this is intense. And then as you follow this practice, you feel yourself like these walls are coming down, (laughs) right? (laughs) And we're here to feel all of it. We're here to be in relation with all of it. It is not this isolated little island inside, but it is, as you said, all connected. Yeah. I just, one of those things that maybe I didn't realize early in the practice. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think that 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 seed is the desire to become a teacher. I think that we, at least I can speak for myself, is that coming to the practice, no one ever said this practice was for, you know, the world, for the community, for the earth. It's like, oh, this is a practice that will help you to feel more at ease or to, you know, become stronger because my first kind of experience was really with yoga asana. Mm -hmm. And then at some point you have such a wholesale transformation that you realize, or at least for me, I realized this is something everybody needs. Mm -hmm. I need to learn how to share this. And that I feel like is that opening into the awareness of connection to community. Not coming from an egoistic place like, oh, I want to be the one standing in front of the class, but I want to be a part of sharing this wisdom because I know that it's going to make the world a better place. And then as you continue to share as a teacher, I feel like then you really start to see how everything really is all connected. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we move through the obstacles. We get to the second part of the book, which are some deep practices. They're so <laughs> incredible. And there was one that I had not done with you before, the do-don't list. Mm. Maybe you'll share a little bit. I'm going to do it. Maybe you'll mm-hmm. share a little bit about this practice and the intention behind it. Yeah, this practice was a practice that was shared with me by Charlie Morley, who's a lucid dreaming teacher, a former Buddhist monk, amazing teacher. 
has is an author as well, has like five books or so. And I was doing um, a class with him and I've done practices around impermanence before. I had a practice before I started doing this practice. I actually had a practice where every birthday I would write my eulogy. Mm. And so I've done these contemplations. I've done death meditations before. And this practice is a practice that really brings you within a very short period of time, less than seven minutes into what is most important to you at your core essence. It brings you into this place of, if I was to learn that I had a minute left to live, what would I do in that last minute? And for me, because I have a mind mapping practice, I felt like it was really important to make that idea, that feeling central to everything that I was doing. And that if it wasn't in alignment, then I needed to basically stop doing it. (laughs) And then I needed to infuse everything that I was doing with this word, my, my last word was love. Mm. Yeah. So it's a really powerful practice. I feel like if there's any practice that you take on from, from the book, this would be one of the first ones. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And you follow that practice with the mind mapping practice, I believe. Correct. Yeah. So I once, cause a lot of times I feel like we do practices and then it's kind of like, oh, I have this this understanding, this new understanding now, but what do I do with it? And so I wanted to have a ritual that people could do every day so that it really starts to weave through and inform their lives in ways that is very transformative. And I mean, I've done it myself numerous times since I learned the practice and I've shared it. And my mapping is just a practice that is also life-changing when you do it on a daily basis. So yeah. I can attest to that. I literally... See, I literally have my mind map from this morning. <laughs> it's one of the practices I do every day too. I've, it has been very transformative mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. All right. I have to tell you a story about Neti Neti. Mm. I could not believe this practice was in this book. It just absolutely blew my mind. So the very first meditation teacher training I ever did, I had just done my 200-hour yoga teacher training. I didn't learn anything about meditation. I decided I should learn something about it. I signed up for this training that was in a tantric lineage with a very senior teacher who had been a renunciant monk for like 20 years, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. tons of experience. And I sat down for this five-day training and it went in one year and out. I mean, I could not, it was so far past where I was mm-hmm. in that moment. I had never meditated ever. Right. I can't even and, imagine. <laughs> right. Like it was, whoa. And the only thing I remember from that training was that there was a practice that consisted of saying, my memory of it was not me, not mine. Mm-hmm. Not me, not mine. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember how it was done. I couldn't remember the point of it or the teaching around it, but I remembered that phrase. And I 
years later, I was like going through teaching notes, looking for that practice and I couldn't find it. And I was like, I don't know, like it's stuck in my head. I know it exists and I don't know this practice. And here I am speed reading your book and I see, oh, I've never heard of Neti Neti. What is this? And I'm reading it and I think, I cannot believe this practice that I have been looking for for over a decade has just reappeared. I'm so <laughs> grateful. And so long story, but will you share a little bit about Neti Neti? Yeah. So Neti Neti, the way that I learned it, um, two different ways as the translation. One translation was, or is, not this, not this. And the other one that I first learned was not this, not that. And it's a very simple but profound practice, as I'm sure you remember, because you were thinking about it for 10 years, <laughs> is that we just kind of allow ourselves to pause, to breathe, and to notice what comes up in our field of awareness. And as we notice anything that comes up in our field of awareness, whether it's a sound, an image, a color, a thought, we repeat silently to ourselves, neti neti, not this, not that, not this, not this. And we feel and sense that it dissolves. And you just keep doing that. Maybe it's a minute, maybe it's five minutes. The first time I ever did the practice, and it's funny that you're talking about this because I remember the exact practice and where I was when I experienced this for the first time. Oh, that's incredible. It created such expansiveness and spaciousness in my mind that it seemed as though I, I actually remember realizing that I had stopped breathing, mm. that my breath had become so shallow that I could no longer feel the inhale and the exhale. That's incredible. And so I love this practice for a lot of different reasons. One, because I think that it really shows us, first of all, how much we're thinking all the time, right? And it also allows us to, when we reflect after the practice is over, what are the thoughts that we're constantly thinking? What is the shade of, of our thoughts? What is the the guna that we're in, our thoughts sattvic, are they rajasic, are they tamasic, without judgment. It's just, you know, a reflection that you can do afterwards. It's a very powerful and simple practice. And it's a way of kind of negating everything in order to come back to source, to come back to truth. I'm really looking forward to revisiting this practice. So we've talked about a lot of practices and there are more. <laughs> yeah. And one of the questions I really would love to explore with you is I'd love to hear a bit about how you weave your practices together because we can't do all of the practices all the time. We have minutes allocated in our lives for practice how mm -hmm. do we, you know, there's dreams in here, there's ancestors, there's neti neti, there's, there's so much that we could do. Yeah. And I'd love to hear a bit about how you approach your practice and how you prioritize, I guess, what you're doing and how. <laughs> yeah. And so this goes back to my first book, Radiant Rest, and this mm -hmm. idea of the householder's flow. 
right? Is being able to see the entire life as a ritual, the entire life as a practice. And when we do that, it takes away this kind of compartmentalization of, oh, I've got to find 90 minutes to do a practice, or I have to find 20 minutes, which it can be impossible to do. So for me, I do a practice before anybody wakes up in the morning. I know I, right now there's no kids in the house because they're all out for now, but I wake up early. I do my yoga nidra practice. After yoga nidra, I sit up and do a very short meditation. And so that's going to be like the main core of what I know. If I can't do anything else for the entire day, that's my practice for the day. I come out, I make tea in a very ritualistic way. I sit, I journal, right? That's another really important important part of my practice along with the mind mapping. And by that time, people are kind of up and around. My husband's up and around, the dog is up and around. Everybody's looking for (laughs) for food or something. (laughs) And at some point I will look at my calendar And I'll notice, first of all, the way I schedule my day, I don't, and I used to be the person who would schedule things back to back to back to back. Instead, now what I do is I schedule at least 45 minutes in between whatever appointments I might have so that I know within that 45 minutes, even if I might have to check my email or do something else that I can find 10 minutes to either go outside, especially if it's summer get some sunlight on my body. I have a like zero gravity chair right outside of my office. And so Mm. sometimes I'll lay in that chair and just do a short yoga nidra practice or a short relaxation practice. Do come back in. And I feel like within the day, there's probably four or five times where I will go outside, put my feet on the earth, maybe chant, you know, think about something more than just like all the things that I have to do, (laughs) Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and allow myself to just feel more spacious. When it's time to go to sleep, I do a sleep practice when I'm in bed. So this is a good time to do a practice because when everyone's like, oh, it's time to go to sleep now, you can, you're in bed and most people are then trying to go to sleep as well. You can take a few minutes to do a sleep practice. And then I always say a sankalpa or a blessing that I place in my heart, drift off to sleep. A lot of times, uh, and not always, I'll be very aware of what kind of dreams are coming through. I'm in a very active dream time right now. I've definitely gone through different seasons where I might not dream at all, but I'll have my dream journal in the morning so that I can record my dreams. And that's like a weaving that kind of goes through. And if I'm lucky enough to have a big chunk of time in the middle of the day, I'll do another yoga nidra practice in the middle of the day, like around one or two. Mm, That's my favorite time to yoga nidra, I have noticed, because I'm tired. So it it feels very natural to lay down. It's very restorative. Mm -hmm. And I'm not so tired that I can't stay awake for the practice itself. So it feels like a really lovely moment. Yeah. 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 So it's a, it's a weaving and I think it's all about how you schedule, you know, Mm. it's important. And I know when you have little kids running around, sometimes you might have to include them in the practice. 
Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The butterfly yoga nidra practice is very popular with the little ones. Oh, yes. I (laughs) absolutely can see that. I I will tell you, my four-year-old loves to meditate, quote unquote, and she'll sit next to me and she like turns her little palms up, but she breathes like (sighs) (laughs) this really rapid. I'm like, honey, you don't have to hyperventilate. She's like, oh, it's oh, so she's funny. doing breath of fire. Yes, she's, that would be her personality, Tracy. So, <laughs> it's so funny. All right, I don't want to run out of time. I'd love to ask you one more quick question, and then we'll yeah. do a short practice. One of the things that I am really reflecting on lately is how we hold. This work, this deeper work where we're really uncovering layers of ourself, right? We're questioning stories that we believe about ourselves and we're working to remember this deeper self. So we're doing this work. And also exploring and holding practices of contentment and being in this moment as it is, as a whole complete moment. And I feel a little bit of interesting paradox in these, I'm doing work to, and I don't want to use the word improve, that doesn't feel like the quite right word, but I'm doing work, I'm changing in some way. Uh And the moment is complete. And I, I just would love it. This is something I have just been reflecting on and journaling on. And I would just love to hear you speak on that as well. Yeah, I think that really makes me think about this idea of acceptance, right? Mm. Is that we're not trying to, at least when I'm thinking about my practice, I'm not thinking about it like I'm trying to get somewhere or I'm trying to get something out of it mm-hmm. necessarily. It is what it is. And I know that whatever practice I do, whether I just sit and I'm present to the breath, it's going to reveal something to me. And then I have a choice once that is revealed, how does that inform how I now move through the rest of my day or my life? And I think that's the transformation part. That isn't like, hey, I'm looking for the transformation. I'm doing all this work to try to get. It's like, it's happening to me. Just by the fact that I'm laying down and practicing yoga nidra or going for a walk in nature and being very aware of all the other beings that are around me when I'm walking or I'm just following my breath. There's Mm -hmm. something to me that's revealed by these practices And I think that when we have support, when we're in maybe transformation that's unexpected or difficult feelings that arise, that we need to be supported, whether it's in our sangha, with a mentor, a coach, a therapist, someone else who's also doing practices. I think that that is really important to our path. And that's something that... Mm -hmm again, goes back to community, right? We don't have to do this alone. Yeah. You know, and I think that the contentment that you're talking about is the contentment in every moment and the acceptance in every moment. It's like, this is where I am. I'm not judging myself. 
I'm not trying to make anything different necessarily, but I do want to see the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that beautiful Thank you. question. Mm-hmm. Would you share a little yeah. practice with us? Yeah. So let's just come into a comfortable meditative shape. That can be anything that feels right for your body in this moment. And perhaps in that shape, you start to feel as though you can gently lean back into space, even if you're not being supported by a chair. And just feel that the space that is behind you and around you and in front of you, above you and below you is holding you holding you with deep, deep care. And so perhaps in that knowing that you are being held in space, you can begin to notice that the body is breathing. And as the body begins to receive an inhale and release the exhale, you remember that there is nothing that you need to do or to earn to be worthy of this gift of breath. And perhaps in that knowing that there is a softening that can occur. And maybe you begin to feel that softening in the center of the forehead, the eyes and eyebrows, the cheeks and the jaw. Perhaps the tongue releases from the roof of the mouth, the neck and shoulders perhaps soften. And perhaps you continue to feel through the body where the body wants to soften. And you just allow that awareness of softening to move through the body all the way to the tip of the toes. You continue to feel that the breath is moving in and out in the background. And perhaps you even feel the navel rising and falling as the body breathes in and out And just be aware, be present to these next five breaths as they move in and out of the body. Feeling and sensing this quality of ease and contentment as you savor the breath.
and just begin to notice that there are sounds, there is light, there's maybe thoughts moving in and out from your field of awareness. That's okay. Let go of any judgment. And for the next minute or so, as anything comes into your field of awareness, just repeat, neti, neti, not this, not this, neti, neti, and watch or feel, sense, or just trust that it dissolves. And then the very next time something comes into the field of awareness, neti, neti, feel it dissolving. Let's just be here for the next minute or so. If you become distracted, bring yourself back to mentally repeating neti, neti. Now, as we slowly begin to close the practice, just notice whatever it is that you notice. Considering perhaps how you felt before the practice and how you feel now. And then just slowly begin to deepen your breath. Perhaps you want to briskly rub your hands together and generate some heat between the hands. And then just intuitively place your hands somewhere on your body where you would like to receive a blessing, an anointing, a healing. And as you inhale, just feel the warmth from your hands just moving into your body, spreading out through the body bringing in healing and love, contentment, ease, 
And perhaps you'd like to offer yourself a silent blessing or prayer. And then slowly just bring your hands together. Thank you so much. Perhaps you want to spend a little time journaling after this or free writing. Thank you, Meryl. Thank you, Tracy. Listeners, you can find Tracy's information, her book, and a discount to pre-order from Shambhala.com all in the show notes. Tracy, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you'd like to share? No, I feel very complete. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was such a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mindful Minute. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. This helps others to find the show. And let's face it, we could definitely use more meditators out there. The Mindful Minute is recorded on Muskogee land and is produced with the support of Michael Sayhouse and Brianna Nielsen. To join my live classes, ask questions, or learn more about my teacher trainings, please visit MerylArnett.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week.